Welcome to the FBCLB podcast, where you'll find the preaching of Dave Delaney, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. Thanks for listening. Romans chapter number one. Our Bible preaching and teaching method here at First Baptist Church is simply next chapter, next verse. And we walk verse by verse through God's Word together. This keeps us accountable. It keeps us honest. It also lets you know if you don't want to hear what we're talking about next week, all you got to do is read ahead a little bit and you'll find out what the pastor's going to be talking about. And so we are come this morning to verse number 17 of our study in Romans. Paul has really throughout this very first chapter, he's been doing a lot of introduction. He's introduced himself, who he is, the purpose he has in this life, the calling that he feels like God has put on his life. He's introduced to us who Jesus Christ is. There's a lot of people who think they know who Jesus is. They think they know what Jesus has come to do. But in fact, very few people actually do know this. But the Apostle Paul has verse number 3, down to verse number 5, introduced the person, the work, the mission of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's introduced what he believes is happening at the church at Rome and why he wants to go there. That was really verse number 8, all the way down to verse number 13. He said, those, man, there's three very famous verses. I am a debtor, verse number 14. Verse number 15, so much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel. Verse number 16, another very famous verse, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. We spent our time the last several weeks Verse number 14, verse number 15, and verse number 16. Considering, man, what it means to not be ashamed of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I hope for you, like for me, we find a little more courage and a little more boldness in speaking up about the love of God, the purposes of God, and the plan of God in our world. Man, because of verses like verse number 16. But we've said this already. Verse number 17 is really the key verse to unlocking the rest of the book of Romans. If you want to understand the rest of the book of Romans, you need to understand verse number 17 and its importance. So we're starting now, verse number 17. We're going to read verse 17, and we will read verse 18. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. For as it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Man, God, or the Apostle Paul rather, uses several words in these two verses. We need to make sure we wrap our minds around. None of them larger than this word, righteousness. Righteousness. Now, what does the word righteousness mean? Well, in our culture, righteousness has a negative context. Generally speaking, when someone says righteousness, they're inferring self-righteousness. You think you're, you think you're more righteous than I am. You're using it in a negative way. That you think that in some way you have a better position than I do. 
You have a better standing than I am. Perhaps you think you're a better person than I am. Well, you think you're so righteous. It's generally the way it's used in our world. But what we know about ourselves is that there is none righteous. No, not one. We know that no one is righteous. I mean, there's no one's perfect. Well, why? Because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I mean, righteousness is, simply, simply put, a right standing, a right position. You think you're more righteous than I am. You think you have a better position than I do. You think you have a better standing than I have. You think you're more righteous. But notice in the text that there is a righteousness that is demanded. There is a righteousness that is required. And that without that righteousness, verse number 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. So that without this righteousness, then we experience the wrath of God. Now immediately, we, we kind of throw up flags, don't we? We say, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is supposed to be stuff like love of God or the joy of God or the peace of God. What do you mean, Pastor? You're talking about the, the wrath of God. What is the wrath of God? What is the righteousness we need in order to miss the wrath of God? How do we get that righteousness? All of those questions we'll hope to answer here this morning. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You for today. Thank You for Your Word. Use it in our lives. Teach us great truths about Yourself, Father, about Your plan for our lives, Father, and how we might be a part of that plan. And in Jesus' name we pray. And all the church said together, Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. An understanding of the word righteousness might simply be presentable. It's something, something to stand on. And what it is that we find firm or, or solid or durable. What is it that gives us a, a righteousness with God? What is it that gives us a right standing or causes us to be presentable in the eyes of the Lord? There are many ways you can answer that question, and many people throughout time have tried to answer that question. In fact, false religion says the way that you are presentable to God, what you have to stand on is your own morality, your own good works, your own religiousness, your own civility, the way you treat your neighbor, the kind of money you give to the church, how you help the poor, what kind of mission work you do. That in doing all of these things, you build up for yourself a platform or you build up for yourself a righteousness that gives you a standing. It makes you presentable in the eyes of God. But the message of Christianity is completely opposite of that. The message of Christianity is there's none righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That even your righteousness is as filthy rags, it's, it's dirty, it's unclean. Why? Because your hands are tainted with sin. So if you have filthy hands and you touch something clean, it takes that clean thing and it makes it dirty. Anyone with toddlers or who've ever had toddlers understands this scenario, right? They're outside in their plane and they come running in the house right after you just mopped the floor. And there across the floor go the, the, the footsteps of mud all the way across the floor. You know, what was clean is now unclean. Why? Because of that two-year-old. That's why. No, no, no. Because of the mud on the feet of the two-year-old. That's why. So what is our righteousness then 
with God. How do we gain a right standing with the Lord? Look at the verse, verse number 17 again. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed. So, so this is, that's what he's saying, for this, for therein, or for in this is the right standing, is the righteousness of God revealed. So we have to ask the question, well then what is the this, or what is the for therein? Well, the therein is a reference to the, the phrase in verse number 16, the gospel of Christ. For therein, in what? In the gospel of Christ. So you could, you could say it like this. For in the gospel of Christ is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. And what have we said about the gospel? What did Paul already say about the gospel? Verse number 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why? Because it is the power of God unto salvation. So the gospel is, the gospel of Christ is the righteousness that we need in order to stand in front of God. And that in the gospel of Christ, it not only gives us righteousness with God, but it also is the power that saves us. Saves us from what? That's the next natural question. What does the righteousness of God save us from? Well, he tells you in verse number 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. So, so this is the reason why we need to be saved. This is the reason why we need to hear the gospel message. This is the reason for why we need another righteousness other than our own because we cannot have righteousness of ourselves. Why? Because God is very angry at unrighteousness. Because God is, the verse is, look at it again, for the wrath of God is revealed. How many of you know the word wrath is different than the word perturbed? or frustrated. It's easy as a parent to go, oh, man, my, my mom or dad, man, they're, they're a little annoyed. My mom or dad are, they're frustrated. Man, but if your brother or sister says, man, dad is, he's full mode wrath right now. How many of you know that that's two very different things, right? God's not a little annoyed about sin. God is not a little perturbed by sin. Sin is not just this annoying thing to God. No, it is, it is sin works the wrath of God. Look at, look at it again, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed against who? Who is God showing this wrath toward? That's a better way to understand that. Who is God showing the wrath toward? Against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. We've already explained that all of us are unrighteous. All of us are ungodly. None of us have a good standing with God, and none of us are godly in that we do everything the way that God should or the way that God says. Because he, Paul takes this idea farther. Go over just one chapter in verse, chapter 2, verse number 5. Paul says this, But after thy hardness and impotent heart, treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteousness of the righteous judgment of God. Look at verse number 8. Same idea. 
but unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness. Unto them is what? Two things. Indignation and wrath. This same idea. That our, our problem is simply this. That we are unrighteous. And that God's righteousness is, is blazing out wrath and indignation against those who are walking around in their own unrighteousness. It's an easy way to understand that God is not a God who is to be trifled with. That God is not a God who delights in men doing sinful things. And this is ultimately what we need to be saved from. That because of God's wrath, we are, if, if we stay in our unrighteousness, we are separated from God. And we are separated from God, not just in the immediate, not just in relationship, but we are separated from God for all eternity. And that we are separated from God for all of eternity in the place that manifests His wrath, which is called hell. Yes, we need to be saved from our sin. Yes, we need to be saved from our guilt. Yes, we need to be saved from disunity or bad relationships. But more than that, we need to be saved from God's wrath. What is God's wrath? God's wrath is a place that he calls hell. So we need the righteousness of God in order to save us from God's wrath, which is fully revealed in a place that's called hell. Three things about God's wrath. I think you have them in your notes. Letter A. God's wrath is eternal. God's wrath is eternal. I want you to see this in the Bible. Go to Mark chapter number 9. It's the second book of the New Testament. So you go to Matthew, and then you go to Mark. Mark chapter number 9. And in Mark 9, Jesus is speaking here about how God's wrath shows itself to be eternal. Look at verse number 43. Mark chapter 9, verse number 43. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off. For it is better for thee to enter into life maimed than, to, than having two hands to go into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. Look at verse number 45. For having two, same idea, for having two feet. Better, better to cut off your foot if it offends you and go through life halt. Why? Than having two feet and be cast into hell. Into the fire that shall never be quenched. Where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. He says the same idea in verse number 48. Where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. So he says this five or six different times in this passage of Scripture that God's wrath as revealed in hell, is one that is eternal. It is, it is not quenched, which simply means it never goes out. It, it, is, it is in no way, there's no relief from it. It is eternal. And the point is that if you, the point is, is that to simply express the terrible and eternal nature of God's wrath and the point is to show us why we need to be saved from God's wrath because God's wrath is one that is working eternally. It is never quenched. It does not go out, but that a, a, to receive God's righteousness, to believe in Jesus, saves you from God's eternal 
wrath. So God's wrath is eternal. Number two, or letter B, God's wrath is horrible. Many people, when they describe a difficult circumstance, when they're going through something difficult at, at work or at home or in some sort of relationship, they, they describe that difficult circumstance as going through hell. And this is, this is how we explain how bad our situation is. We like to compare the problems we're experiencing, the difficulty that we're having, and the, the worst thing that we can think of. Like the worst scenario that we can possibly find. The, the, the worst thing that we can describe, that best describes our terrible situation, is to describe it as, as hell. But, but hell, hear me on this, hell is not compared to anything that you could ever suffer in this life. Hell is as bad as a term as you can use. But if you express the severity or the gravity or the terribleness of your situation by referring to it as hell, it trivializes the reality that is hell. There is nothing you can suffer in this life that is legitimately as bad as the horrors of hell. Listen to how the Bible describes hell. Destruction, perdition, outer darkness. Jesus uses the phrase, where the worm dieth not. It's used later on, weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's referred to as a lake of fire. It's referred to as the second and eternal death. When Jesus speaks about hell, and Jesus speaks about hell more than anybody else in the New Testament, when Jesus does, he uses this image for hell that's called Gehenna. It's literally a valley where they would burn garbage. They take daily, they would take garbage out to this valley and they would throw it down into the valley and it would consistently, it would constantly be burning. And it's not just that, but any criminal convicted of a crime, they were not allowed to be buried in a tomb or a grave, but they had to be thrown into the pile of garbage. If you didn't have any money to bury your loved one, that's where you took them. You threw them into Gehenna. This is the same image that Jesus uses when he references the place called hell. So Jesus says, hell is a place where the worm dies not. So Jesus is referring to the maggots that live on the corpses in the garbage heap. And when all the flesh is consumed, those maggots die. So what Jesus is saying is spiritual decomposition of hell never ends. That's why the worm does not die. It is literally a terrible, horrific image of God's wrath being poured out onto those who try to do life their way, try to find their own righteousness. They reject God's truth and live in their, according to their own standard of righteousness. And God's wrath is A, eternal. God's wrath is B, horrible. And God's wrath is C, permissible. This is, I, think, I believe this is where God's wrath is most clearly seen. And God's wrath is most clearly seen in this. God's wrath is, is simply him letting you have your own way. God's wrath is the worst and the fairest punishment that God can give to a person by simply allowing them to have their own sinful desires. 
It's God turning us over. In fact, he's going to use that analogy. He's going to use that phrase three times between now and the end of this chapter. God gives them up. God turns them over. God gives them up. He just lets them have their own way. And God's wrath is permissible in this sense. That in a world where men and women are trying to get away from God, they're trying to run from God, they're trying to call their own shots apart from God, they're trying to live life according to their own rules, their own standard, their own morality, and not according to what God says we ought to do, then God, God's wrath is seen in that God lets us have our own way. And this is quite literally the most destructive form of God's wrath in our lives. And Cain is warned in Genesis chapter 4 that because sin is at the door and not to be slack concerning sin because sin will eventually lead him into slavery. Sin, this is what sin does. It destroys your ability to choose and to love and to enjoy. And this is what God's wrath does. God's wrath is giving us up to our own free choices, to go our own way, to be our own master, to be the captain of our own soul. And God's wrath is saying, you want to be the captain of your own soul? You want to call your own shots? You think you know better than I do on how your life should go? Then this is what you receive in return. Romans chapter 5, verse number 9. Much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. We shall be saved from wrath through Him. All those who reject God, all those who choose their own way over God's way, will in the end receive what they actually chose. That they chose to be their own God. Instead of worshiping the one true God of the Bible, they chose to serve their own selves as opposed to serving the God of the Bible. They chose to go into eternity without ever acknowledging and worshiping and obeying and receiving God as their Savior. And they, go, they chose to go into eternity by worshiping themselves. And in the end, this is the wrath of God working out into the lives of men. That God's wrath is eternal. God's wrath is terrible. And last, God's wrath is permissible. The fact that God is righteous and that I am unrighteous, this is fundamentally the problem. That God demands a righteousness from you. And God demands a righteousness from me. That God demands, this is what His nature demands. This is what His law demands. This is what His word demands. That God is righteous, that we are not, and we do not have any righteousness by which we can give God. So we are guilty, we are condemned, we are perishing, we are alienated, we are enemies of God, knowing who God is and yet choosing to do life our own way, so that now we are without hope in the world. You go, wow, I'm so glad I came to church today. This is such a positive message. Where then is the good news? What, what then is the hope? This is the hope. Look at verse number 17. For therein is the righteousness of God, look at it, revealed. So first, righteousness was required, but number two, righteousness is revealed. For therein, in the gospel of Christ, God reveals 
righteousness. He shows to us where righteousness is and why we need the righteousness. We need this righteousness to save us from ourselves and to spare us from His wrath. Simply to say revealed literally means uncovered, pulled back. The curtain is open. God's righteousness, the gospel, opens the curtain to God's righteousness. And what is God's righteousness revealed? Or who is it that is this righteousness for us? It is the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. That what God demands in perfect righteousness, He supplies through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. What God demanded in perfect righteousness from you and from me, God supplied in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. The only hope for us to have with God is that God would reveal this, that God would uncover this, that God would unveil this righteousness that we need, and that in unveiling the righteousness, he would, it would then be good news for us. And that's exactly what God does. Listen to it in Romans chapter 5, verse number 7, verse number 8. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, but yet peradventure for a good man some would even die. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That while we were sinners, while we were unrighteous, while we were doing our own thing, calling our own shots, living life according to our own rules, rebelling in our nature to Him, making God our enemy, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. But what is revealed in the Gospel? The revealed in the Gospel is two things. That the righteousness that God demanded from us, God has provided for us in Jesus Christ. What God has demanded from us, righteousness, God has provided for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. And this is what Jesus accomplished. Jesus accomplished for us a righteousness. And what Jesus seals for us is not just a righteousness, but he, receive, he seals for us a justification, a right standing, a right position. This is what it means that the unrighteous that those of us who are lost in our sin, those of us who have gone our own way, those of us who don't even live up to our own standard. Isn't this true? Like, I don't even live up to my own expectations of myself, much less the expectations of someone else. And infinitely beyond that, much less the expectations of God. I can't even do what I know I'm supposed to do, much less what you think I'm supposed to do, much less what God thinks I'm supposed to do. And so I'm continually and constantly in this failing and frustrating place. And yet, while we were unrighteous, God sent Jesus who secured for us a justification. Which means that our sin and our unrighteousness has been once and for all paid for in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. 
and that God then credits or imputes is the Bible word. God credits or imputes or, or gives Jesus' righteousness, His perfect life, death, burial, and resurrection to all of those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And that when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, it is this belief that then gives you a justification or a righteousness in the eyes of the Lord. Look at it again in verse number 17. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed. In what? In the message of the Gospel. That what God demanded from us, He provided for us through Jesus Christ. He secured it on behalf of all those who believe. So that leads us to the last question. How is it received then? How is it received? If a righteousness is required, and if, a right, and if righteousness is revealed, it is there, it's possible, how do we get it? Because this is the natural question. Okay, pastor, I get it. I don't even live up to my own standard, much less God's. And okay, I get it. Jesus was perfect, and He lived, and He died on the cross, and He sacrificed Himself in my place, but how do I connect the two? And Romans 17 tells you how you connect the two. Look at it. Verse 17, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. For as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So how do I, how do you, how do we receive this righteousness? And the answer is, by faith. See the phrase? From faith to faith. Salvation can only be received by faith through grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation cannot be received in any other way. Righteousness cannot be gained in any other way. Righteousness cannot be gained through faith and works. Righteousness cannot be gained through faith and baptism. Righteousness cannot be, faith through, be gained through faith and offerings. Righteousness cannot be gained through faith and mission work. Salvation from God's wrath, the righteousness that we need, can only be received by faith and faith alone. Notice what he says. For as it is written... It's an interesting phrase. For as it is written. So what Paul is saying is, I'm not changing anything. I'm not preaching anything new. As it is written, like what you've already been taught, you already know, as it is written, the just live by faith. This is a reference to Habakkuk chapter number 2. And the context of Habakkuk 2 is that there are these unrighteous nations who have brought all kinds of destruction and peril and, and hurt into Israel because Israel's mingling with them. And now God's judgment is coming down on them. And so Judah is trying to exempt herself from God's judgment, from the wickedness and the idolatry and, and the perversion that's, that's bringing about the wrath of God onto, onto Israel, which is what we understand in the form of the Babylonian invasion. So the crucial question that they're asking is, God, how can we miss out on the judgment? How can we miss out on this wrath? And the answer being given is the same answer being given to you and to me. The answer is the just live by faith. The way you miss out on the wrath of God, the way you see the power of God demonstrated in your life, and the way you're saved from the wrath of God, which is 
eternal and terrible and permissible. The way this happens is by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The answer is the just live by faith. It is by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that you gain eternal life. And if you do not put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, then you gain eternal death. That is the message of the Bible. By faith, you are not swept away in God's wrath. By faith, you live. This is what he says. The just shall live. Sort of the word, live. The just shall live by faith. The word live is literally a reference to salvation. Is the reference back to verse number 16. The power of God unto salvation. It is by faith that we receive the power of God unto salvation. What are we saved from? We're saved from the wrath of God, which is eternal and terrible and permissible. And this righteousness that God offers to you and to me, He offers freely to all those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. So my plea with you this morning is simply that. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. But what then is the essential thing in gaining the righteousness from God? What is the primary thing in gaining the righteousness from God? Here it is. Faith in God. Faith in God. Faith, in particular, faith in God, in the, in the Gospel of God, which is what? The life, death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not enough to just say, well, I have faith. It's not enough. It's not enough to say, well, I have, I have this mystical sense of faith. You, you can stop by our bookstore and you won't see us selling bottles of faith. Just buy, buy a bottle of faith and just shower yourself with it once a week and that'll get you enough salvation and righteousness that you need. No, it's faith in God. It's faith in the gospel of God. It's faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. If I go to a grocery store and I take my cart, I'm hungry. I go up and down the aisleways. I start putting all kinds of delicious food into my grocery cart. That would obviously include boxes of Pop-Tarts. I go through the grocery store and I'm piling up groceries. I get to the checkout lane and the lady rings me through. She, she gets all my groceries registered through. And then she looks at me and she says, that will be $100 of payment. You owe a hundred dollars. And I go, don't worry. I've got this all caught up. I reach into my pocket. And I find my, my money and I pull it out. And I go, all right, I got some, got some money for you. A hundred dollars. This is my one hundred dollars of Monopoly money. There you go. And I'm going to leave you an extra dollar because I would like several bags in order to bag up my groceries so there you go. Now please let me have my groceries. The lady would look at me and she'd go, that's funny. You owe a hundred dollars. No, 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 no. Oh, don't worry about it. This is more than a hundred, but don't worry. I'm, I'm in a generous mood. I'm going to spot you a couple extra bucks. You could just overlook the fact that this is not George Washington's picture on the front. Okay. You just, there you go. She goes, no, 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 no. It's, 
it's $100. No, no, but, but look, I, I, what if I give you a couple extra hundreds and I throw a 10 in there? What if I get, let me get back at these 500s. What about those? There you go. Now you can keep all of that if you give me my groceries. How many of you know at that point, the lady is going to be calling security? She'll put that little red button under the table. She's going to be saying, this is a crazy man over here. No, don't, don't worry, ma'am. I know that it was only 100 but you can have all of my Monopoly money. I'm going all in on Monopoly money. It's all yours. You can put whatever you want in the register. Just give me my boxes of Pop-Tarts. No, just, just give me my groceries. And how many of you know, no matter how much Monopoly money I offer her, it is not enough. But what if I reach into the other pocket? Ta-da! Man, I owe, I owe $100. So I'm going to give her all of, all of this money right here. Now, th see the thing about this, these bills? Look at this. The thing about these bills is this what, this what it says. This note is legal tender for all debts, public and private. This is what counts. This does not count. What, what counts? What, what's valuable? What is essential in offering to God for the debt of sin? See, this is what many people, this is what false religion tell you. Well, what you need, you need some good works. You need to make sure you give to the poor. Make sure you go to church. Make sure you're, more, you're civil. Make sure you work hard. Make sure you raise good kids. Make sure you do all these things. This is what counts. This is, make sure you have all these things. This is what counts. And if you get enough of this in the end. But how many of you know, that's monopoly money. It doesn't count. It's, this is not, there's no... It pays no debt in the eyes of the Lord. This is no good. And you can offer $10,000 of Monopoly money, but it will not buy you the groceries because it does not count. What? Get that off me. What counts? Because this counts. Or what counts in the eyes of the Lord? Man, by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the just live by faith. When you go to God, you have to go to God with what counts. Consider the Apostle Paul. Consider his own life. He spent a lifetime of amounting, a fortune of righteousness to himself. A Pharisee of Pharisees, of touching the wall, or of touching the law, completely perfect. I violated the law in no sense. I saw even the execution of those who were violating the law. All this self-righteousness, all this self-validation. Paul says, I had $10,000 of Monopoly money until I realized that this is not good enough to earn you a standing with God. What do you have that has any value with God? What do you have that has any value with God? That you have. I have. <laughs> Nothing. We have no goodness. We have no righteousness. And no matter how much goodness or righteousness you could possibly come up with, it's just monopoly money in the end. 
but Jesus Christ paid your debt. Here's how, here's how Paul says it later. That though he was rich, he became poor, that we who were poor might be made rich. That Jesus Christ had all the riches of all eternity, of all of heaven, and yet He humbled Himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And He offers that to you and to me, that those of us who have nothing, who are nothing, who have no good works on our own, we are all just playing with monopoly money in the end, that those of us who are poor, that we could be made rich because of the Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ. So my question for you this morning is simply this. Have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? I'm not asking you if you've been to church. I'm not asking you if you've said a prayer. I'm not asking you if you're religious. I'm asking you, has there been a time in your life when you've put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and in Him alone? Because you recognized that your righteousness was not enough to gain you a right standing with God and because your Self-validation, your own way, your own sinfulness caused you to be an enemy of God so that the wrath of God is working toward you. It's working against you. And do you this morning want to be saved from the wrath that is to come? Then believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. There's two more sermons from this chapter. A word, then we'll pray, and we'll be done. There's two more sermons for the rest of this chapter. We'll start next week. What does the wrath of God look like? This, this permissibleness that God says, okay, you want your own way? Here, have your own way and see if you enjoy it. What, is this, what does this look like in our world? What would it look like to God or from God, to say to a culture, to say to a world, to say to a society, to say to a family, to say to a man or a woman, what does God, what would, what would the wrath of God, he says, okay, you want your own way, here's what it looks like. What would that look like in our lives? You want a peek of this? Here, here it is, ready? Wherefore God gave them up unto uncleanness through their own lust of their own hearts to dishonor their bodies between themselves. Because they changed the truth of God into a lie. Because they worshiped and served the creature more than the creator. So God gave them over to vile affections. For even the women did change the natural use against, for that which is against nature. And also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another. Men with men, working that which is unseemly. Look at verse number 28. And God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient being filled with all unrighteousness. What is that? Fornication and wickedness and covetousness and maliciousness and full of envy and murder and debate and de deceit and malignity and whisperers and backbiters and haters of God and despiteful and proud and boasters and inventors of evil things and disobedient to parents and without understanding and covenant breakers and not without natural affections, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God. 
knowing the judgment, knowing the judgment of God, how that the wrath of God is being poured out in this way on mankind, on us, who even knowing this, look at verse 32, who knowing this, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same. So they know the wrath of God is going to work out in this way. They not only do that, they not only do the same things, but have pleasure in them that do them. I do not know a passage of Scripture that more adequately describes where we live today than that. So I'm going to ask for two things. I'm going to ask for first, prayer. That over the course of these next two weeks, as we endeavor as a church to walk through Romans 1, verse 19 to verse 32, that you would pray for me in the preparation and presentation of these verses, that it would be in a way that is in line with God's Word. Saying things like this are not always, not always easy, it's not always fun. Being the only guy on the platform with everybody looking at you can be kind of intimidating at some times. So I'm going to ask for you to pray for me in that way. Then I'm going to ask too that you not only be in attendance, but that you bring someone. You say, you got, you got questions about why the way the world is? You want to know why we're as evil as we are? You want to know why it's as dark as it is? You want to know why there's all sorts of injustices? You want to know why there's all sorts of combating and, and this, this, this him against him, her against her, nation against nation? You want to know why? Want to know why perversion is, is as rampant? It's not even a perversion. Want to know why this inversion is as rampant as it is? God, God in His Word answers that. So I'm asking you for two things. I'm asking you for first, prayer. And I'm asking you for second, for you not only to be here, but for you to bring someone with you who that, in bringing them, they would see their need for God's righteousness in their life that they would by faith yield to that righteousness so that they then would be objects not of judgment or wrath from God, but that they might receive the love, the joy, the grace that God has displayed and is showing to all those that believe. Can you do those two things for me? Would you do those two things for me? The just shall live by faith. What do you have in your life that has any value with God? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. Father, we thank you for your word.